listening to the Deals Activist Investing Today podcast with Ron Oral, and I'm very excited this week to have with me Brian Stafford, CEO of Diligent Corp. So Diligent Corp is a board management software company that helps companies uh, send director material securely, which is very important in today's uh, uh, corporate governance and board world. And uh, really appreciate Brian taking a little time to, to speak with us. Thanks, Brian. Sure, my pleasure. Okay, so Brian, let's talk to a subject we've talked about a little bit before, and one of my favorite subjects in the activist sphere, which is corporate governance. And I have a bunch of interesting statistics to run by you on uh, independent chairmen. You know, we have a lot of these shareholder efforts to try to pushing to split the role of chairman and CEO, a lot of uh, kind of corporate governance academics and a bunch of shareholders think that uh, the CEO should not be the chairman overseeing themselves, you know, in terms of accountability. And, uh, but interestingly enough, according to BoardX, which is a service of the deal, this kind of data, uh, board database company we have, uh, only 32% of S&P 500 companies have independent chairs and that 44% of S&P mid cap 400 businesses have independent chairs and 50% or a little bit, just, just under 50% of S&P small cap 600 companies have independent chairs. So not a lot of independent chair, uh, chairs overseeing, or at least not a majority of companies appear to have uh, independent chairs as directors. Now look at the shareholder proposals. There were 51 uh, shareholder proposals this year seeking to separate the role of chairman and CEO, and only one of them passed, and that was at Rite Aid, which had this um, problem with uh, an Albertson's failed Albertson merger and a lot of governance stuff. I'll tell, tell you guys about that later more, but it was the only one that passed this year or got a majority of shares to prove it, and uh, you know the rest failed. So, Brian, with that in mind, not a lot of independent shares, shareholder proposals seeking to separate the chairman and, and CEO uh, role fail, um, you know, why is this? Why do you think uh, that a, a lot of investors and companies are happy, you know, with having uh, non-independent chairs and, uh, and, or, you know, the CEO being also the chairman? Uh, yeah, in, in, in the U.S., and I can do the compare and contrast uh, with, uh, with other markets like the U.K., uh, you, theoretically, uh, a, a company's shareholders should be okay if the chairman and CEO role are not separated if they believe the company has a strong lead independent director, that lead independent director, of course, is a person where, you know, if there is a scandal with the company, if there is something that happens, if, if where shareholders want a voice independent of management, it should go to that lead independent director. And so if that lead independent director is a strong enough individual um, who shareholders feel can accurately reflect um, their point of view, independent from management in the boardroom, um, most, um, most shareholders should be comfortable with that. Now, um, whether they're comfortable with that or not, um, you know, I, I don't know entirely, but if you're going to look at the data, like you said, um, with respect to, to the, the proxy votes and then um, uh, the majority, the vast majority, almost all of them failing, um, you'd have yeah. to believe that is, that is the case from, from the data. Um, it's very different in the UK. In the UK, it is more common to have a... a Separate um, chair, uh, a separate chairperson um, that is uh, independent from uh, from the CEO of the business, and uh, that which is quite common commonplace there. As long as the lead independent is a strong enough uh, role within uh, within a board in the U.S., uh, as you as you noted, shareholders should be okay with it. 
Yeah, and I remember we had uh, Ann Sheehan used to be a governance chief at Calsters, speak at one of our governance conferences, and she talked about how, you know, that's one of the things that she looked at, or Calsters, the California State Teachers Retirement System, the second largest pension, public pension fund in the U.S., look at when they, uh, you know, decide on whether to seek to separate the role of chairman and CEO. Yeah. We also had, so go ahead. I was going to say, I also think that, that the role of the lead independent director um, has become more and more important. Kind of, I think over the course of the last you know five plus years, when um, uh, for the right reason shareholders are asking the question that says, you know, does the is the board too clubby, or do we actually need someone in there who doesn't just speak for management, who speaks for our you know us as the shareholders? And so I think that has become more and more prominent, uh, and I'm, and I'm sure you will see it become more and more prominent. So we had also uh, uh, Tryon Fund Management, uh, Nelson Peltz, the activist investor, speak at one of our conferences also. And he talked about how the Sarbanes-Oxley Act of 2002, one of the most best hidden provisions of that that he thought was fantastic is having uh, uh, independent directors, uh, the, the lead independent director lead uh, uh, non-executive meetings of just independent directors. So you could, you know, you could have, and this probably, and I think, believe this happens a lot at a lot of uh, U.S. public companies that the lead independent director is having separate meetings without the executives. So they they can talk about issues. You know, the CEO is getting paid too much, or we need to fire the CEO, and those kind of things. I mean, is that is that something that also you feel like institutional investors? One of the reasons they like this lead independent director structure. Uh, well, well, that's absolutely the case, um, uh, and why why that is an appreciated role. Um, most boards, when they function uh, at the end of a board meeting, will have separate independent executive session, which is where um, the executives um, uh, actually leave the room, and it is a non-executive session amongst the boards. And, and separate sessions or follow-up sessions are, um, you know, of course, are increasingly common. Um, the other thing that is becoming more common is the lead independent director um, meeting with larger shareholders on occasion throughout the year. Uh -huh, that's interesting. What, what often um, independent directors will say that they worry about within a company is typically uh, when asked, how do shareholders feel about our plan, for example, uh -huh. now that typically that perspective can get filtered through IR. <laughs> through the CFO and then ultimately through the, the CEO. And, and what, what in many cases, independent directors and, and sometimes a lead independent director might ask for is, is should they go and have the meeting directly with shareholders for two reasons. One, to avoid the filter. Um, but second, the filter being like the spin room or a broken telephone in, in the best case, spin room in the worst case, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even if, even if you want to just attribute it to, to the telephone game and something losing in each, in each, um, uh, in each stage. Um, but but there are also the other perspective I've heard, which I think is a very interesting one as well, is occasionally the shareholder uh, of a, you know, who might be a longstanding shareholder might be more direct and blunt if they're not worried about upsetting the executive. And so right. it's also, it's also, it may not be attributed to the telephone game and it might just be, you know, you might hear something different if, 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 uh, if a independent director was talking to a shareholder than maybe for management. Now it depends on which director you talk to and or which investor you talk to. And I'm sure many investors say they'd give it unbelievably direct to the, to the company as well. But 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 I, I have heard those um, that other perspective, and I thought that was an interesting. Yeah, that uh, I should like look into how many. Uh, I'm mean, I wondering if we, there's any statistics we could find about how many shareholders meet with the lead independent director of companies, and whether that's uh, 
fairly common. I suspect that that's not maybe not publicly disclosed, but it's your suspicion that the uh, a lot of times it's the lead independent director that the institutional investor is meeting with if they get to meet with anybody on the board. In in many cases, and and what what doesn't necessarily come out uh, in the press, but in many cases, the activist conversation can Mm -hmm. start with a non-public conversation with the company (laughs) Mm -hmm. and trying to understand if that company has a lead independent director who's willing to listen to their points of view. Mm -hmm. As you all know, sometimes that gets escalated, sometimes that gets addressed, um, but, but it is another channel, and I think the lead independent director and independent directors um, communicating with shareholders uh, uh, is, in, is showing up with increasing frequency. That's fascinating stuff. Thank you, Brian. So I want to talk about, uh, you know, in, in, it, it doesn't, so there are like occasional rare instances where uh, shareholder proposals seeking to separate the chairman and CEO role do get approved by share investors. And uh, a lot of situations where boards are sh- are shaken up, even though, you know, the, and if, the, if there is an activist, they're, they're not seeking to install their own dissonant director slate. And uh, you and I, we've talked about like the Elaine Wynn situation at Wynn Resorts following her husband, Steve Wynn's uh, resignation and lots of the problems at Wells Fargo. The one uh, that I mentioned earlier in our, in our conversation this year, uh, the only shareholder proposal that was approved by shareholders was at, uh, was at Rite Aid. And um, that was following uh, uh, Albertsons, a merger with Albertsons that failed after following significant concerns about governance at Rite Aid. I, I read a, there's a Glass Lewis, the proxy advisor report that noted that one Rite Aid director, Frank Savage, was classified as an independent director on Rite Aid's board, even though he had, quote, an ongoing outsized relationship with Cerberus, which was the owner of Albertsons, uh, the company that was, uh, you know, seeking to merge with Rite Aid. Uh, through his consulting position with Lazard, end quote. And uh, this led uh, Glass Lewis to recommend against the deal. And I believe Institutional Shelter Services, the other proxy advisor, also recommended this deal. So there was a lot of um, negative governance uh, issues associated with Rite Aid. And then, uh, you know, like I mentioned, Wells Fargo and Wynn. So talk to me, you know, it seems like it it has to be a, a big scandal of some sort for shareholders to really... Uh, push for, uh, you know, a majority of shareholders to say anything to, to support anything? Well, I, I think that that's right in many of the cases because um, despite shareholders might maybe uh, not being as thrilled by maybe a new board appointment, but, you know, even though if it might not have been their, their preference, is it enough to, you know, is it enough to, to really rally to unseat you know, the leaders of the organization drive change, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but when there is a scandal, it's very um, easy to call out bad governance or it's very obvious to call out bad governance, whichever way you want to, um, uh, whichever side of the coin you want to take. Uh, and, and yeah, I think that is the case where um, you will get enough support and people rallying around uh, by people, I mean, uh, shareholders rallying around the fact that something material needs to change. Yeah, and and at Rite Aid, I just would add that after they received the majority, it was like fifty something percent of uh, shareholders. Actually, I have it exactly here. It was fifty eight percent of shares voted to have Rite Aid uh, bring in an independent chairman. Uh, shortly after that, uh, Rite, Rite Aid did move to bring an independent chairman. It also removed three directors, including this Frank Savage director that I mentioned earlier. So. 
you know, I guess companies will listen if a majority of shareholders vote to s- separate the chairman and CEO. Although, in, I would add also note that in 2017 and 2016, there were no shareholder proposals that uh, were approved by a majority of shares seeking to separate the role of chairman and CEO. So 2016, there were two. I mean, 2015, there were two. So it, it doesn't happen very often. Um, inter- oh, another interesting statistic I forgot to mention earlier on was that uh, Institutional Shareholder Services has recommended for uh, 44 uh, proposals to support its 44 proposals to separate the role of chairman and CEO, but yet only one this year was actually approved by shares, uh, shareholders, which was that right Aid example. So this shows that, uh, you know, a lot of people have this perception that ISS is this super influential, powerful organization. When it comes to uh, shareholder proposals seeking to separate the, uh, the role of chairman and CEO, doesn't seem like ISS has that much power in terms of, uh, uh, you know, robo-voting and di- driving shareholders to to separate that role. So, uh, so interesting stuff. So, okay, uh, Brian, I wanted to ask you, uh, 2019 is upon us shortly. I'm wondering what do you think will be some of the, the, uh, the biggest trends in corporate governance, some of the changes you think we might see uh, 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 coming forward, what kind of proposals you think shareholders will be submitting? I feel like uh, you know, diversity of boards is something that's kind of uh, coming up, but I'm not sure. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. I think there are, there are probably three or four. Uh, one, I think the point you just keyed on, um, diversity boards increasingly important. Uh, when you look at even the California rule that states um, around stipulates quotas or numbers of diverse candidates that must sit on boards, I think you're going to see that continue to grow and, the, and, and just the force of uh, the fallout coming out from the Me Too movement and people mm-hmm. want to that there are more diverse boards who can catch issues within a company. I think mm-hmm. that only that continue and that, that in turn will actually drive more new board members will you have, will you, where you will have to have find people who come from diverse backgrounds as well in order to um, uh, fill the type of board members you're looking for. And so you'll actually have people who come from uh, uh, different backgrounds filling boards. Uh, I think the second one is, I think the bar just continues to go up for board members. I think you see that year in and year out, um, which will actually, which drives, um, I think, more focus for board members. It used to be that a role on a board was just a, an awesome thing to have on your, on your resume, um, you know, and great to have. And it, it only took four meetings a year to kind of put that check next to that box. I think what mm-hmm. board members, you know, are increasingly feeling more and more and more is, you know, maybe it's not a full-time job, but it's a much more extensive job today for the average board member than it used to be five or 10 years ago. And I think what you'll see that is board members becoming choosier and choosier in which boards they choose to join um, because the risk of joining a board where, you know, something negative comes out in the press is that um, your name shows up in the press, you know, in, in uh, whatever it might end up being uh, as someone who was asleep at the wheel which in turn, I think, will drive board members uh, joining fewer boards where they, require, where they realize the requirement is to spend more time and they will self-define a load that is um, somewhere at or less than what ISS defines as someone who's overboarded at four boards. So I think you'll see that trend will drive that number uh, lower. And then lastly, given the role of, of the, the board member just keep getting tougher and tougher, I think you will see boards actually asking for and demanding 
um, more tools, more outsiders coming into the boardroom and sharing them different perspectives. Where currently, you know, as a board member, um, the lion's share of your uh, understanding of the company and the market, how the company's performing, how competitors are performing, are filtered through the company. And where more and more boards are saying, how do I get more of that direct information? So when an activist shares us a stat that says we're, we're um, underperforming our comp set, we don't look surprised because we were always given a different set of comps. And so I think you'll but see- so what, what do you mean, When you say that, you mean like the, the board will hire their own consultants to advise them on crunching the numbers? Or when you say outside advisors, what do you-, what just, do you just, just like you're saying, when, when there's a scandal at a company, um, and you see them, each of them hire their, or the board hires one or two outside law firms. Mm -hmm. um, I think you will see more and more people say, are there other tools? Are there other reports? Are there analytics? Should mm -hmm. the board independently or the strategy committee of the board hire someone to go look at the strategy of the space? And so I think- And, and they would be doing it in non-crisis situations, I guess. That's the-, uh, the Yeah, so I, 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 you're, you're exactly right. And so I guess the question is, uh, uh, everybody, everybody gets it very quickly that that's what you have to do in a crisis situation. But mm -hmm. um, you know, how do you do that in a non-crisis uh, situation? I um, uh, was talking to um, a few members of, of a particular company board, uh, and they said that what they've started to do in the current environment is uh, encourage companies to quote go activist on themselves. Mm -hmm. So figure out what the three things an activist investor would be saying about you. Um, so that you can be either better prepared for the response to it, or if they are valid points aside on how that should be part of the strategy that you execute, or at least at the very least um, uh, articulate as well, if you're doing that, and that might be with, um, with hiring independent people to come on and give a fresh perspective. That's interesting, and but you feel like they have, somebody has to pay for that, right? It's the uh, the the I guess the company agreed to pay for them to hire this consultant uh, or you know that their advisor. Yeah, that's, that's that's exactly right, and you'll see in a non-crisis situation. Yeah, and you'll see boards that are now asking more and more for things like that or other resources because the risk to them personally mm -hmm. <laughs> of a story coming out in something negative is quite high, and so mm -hmm. I think you're seeing people more empowered to ask for the or board members more empowered to ask for things like that. All right. Well, that is fascinating stuff, uh, Brian, that we are out of time. Uh, you've been listening to the Deals Activist Investing Today podcast, and we've been talking to Brian Stafford, CEO of Diligent Corp. Just a reminder, that's a board management software company that helps companies send director material securely, which, as uh, I'm sure our listeners know, is very important in today's day and age. So I appreciate you taking a little time, Brian. Yeah, thanks for the time.